All right, so if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to Proverbs 9 if you have not already done so, where, where this morning we come to the climax of these first nine chapters. And if you've been tracking with us, uh, you've probably seen a theme uh, that's been running through these chapters, and that is the continual exhortation to the young man about the path that he ought to take and that path representative of life's journey. Um, The young man has received that instruction to stay on the right path and and to not be led astray to follow the crooked path. And what we've seen in previous chapters is that persistent warning that's come to him about the conniving and the wicked ways of evil men who are going to seek to entice him to go astray, to get off that, that path. And also, we see the seductive advances of the flattering women, which will lead to death. So it's been very graphic in nature in the sense of the uh, reality of what's going to happen if this young man leaves that path and follows after folly. Um, So these instructions, if you've been tracking with us, have come to him from his parents uh, by way of his father and from Lady Wisdom Personified. Uh, And so now in chapter 9, we come to this climax, and we're going to see the choice that he is presented with. Is he going to follow lady wisdom, or is he going to go after woman folly? And these chapters are instructive as you read the rest of Proverbs as well, uh, as we move out of this main section of exhortation, and then in chapters 10 through 31, where we get into more of just the pithy one-verse sayings. Um, these verses kind of set up the rest of the book of Proverbs about wisdom and folly. <clears throat> so, as we, as we think about um, <clears throat> these first nine chapters, it, it's not as cut and dry for us as we might think about, yeah, I mean, here's the way of wisdom, walk in it, and here's the way of folly, avoid it. And the reason that I say it's not as cut and dry is because we come into this world by nature bent on going after foolishness, following the way of woman folly. Uh, we're, we're not neutral as we come into this world. Uh, we are prone to go after that which is uh, foolishness. And we're reminded of that by what we see in Titus Three verses 1 through 3, and I think we've got this up on the screen. Eli, can you advance to the next uh, slide there? Uh, can I have somebody read that for us? Okay, good. Thank you, Millie. So notice there, it's verse 3 where it says, for we ourselves were once foolish, right? And and that's been the theme that we've seen running through uh, Proverbs, is is that this woman folly who's been represented to us, we follow her and her godless ways, right? That's how we're bent, and we need instruction coming to us. And we recognize that if God had not intervened mercifully, on our behalf and given us new hearts and given us eyes to see, we'd still be on that path, wouldn't we? Right. Right? It's only by the grace of God that we've been enabled to see and come out of that uh, reality of walking in the way of folly. As a matter of fact, I don't have this up on the screen, but if you turn with me to Titus 3, you'll see what Paul says to Titus right after this in verse 4. I'm going to go ahead and read that, Titus 3, and starting in verse 4, he says this, but, so that's who we once were, we were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, notice this, 
he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. So that's the reason that we can now actually look at paths that are set before us and recognize here's the foolish way and here is a righteous way. And empowered by the Holy Spirit, we can now actually walk in righteousness. That's the blessing of of being in Christ. Or else we would still be on that foolish path, that broad road that leads to destruction. So that's something that we, we always want to keep in mind. It keeps us humble. It keeps us dependent upon the Lord. It also keeps us humble towards those that are around us recognizing that we didn't come to this revelation on our own. We don't make wise choices and pat ourselves on the back and say, I'm so wise, look at me, I've made great decisions, right? No, it's, it's, we just bow before the Lord and we say, thank you for giving me wisdom. It's not innate within me. I need it to come from outside of me and to me so that I can walk in it and give God all the glory. So it's good to remember as we read this section here in Proverbs 9 that the choice isn't as cut and dry as it seems due to our natural propensity to follow after woman folly. Yes, Rob. And maybe as a result of that realization of who we once were, mm-hmm. you know, kind of like there by the grace of God, the life. That's exactly right. Yeah. We're tempted, even by the, by the evil one, yes. to say to ourselves or to say to God, you know, I thank thee that I am not like other men. Amen. And, you know, and <coughs> Yes. You know, if we have that kind of attitude. That's right. And so all this should remind us um, that we're not supposed to judge anybody. Right. Because then we're going to be judged by the Lord. Right. Right, right. We we have the standard, right? The standard is not us and our ways. It's the Lord and what he has said in his word. And so we seek to point people not necessarily to us but to the Lord. And hopefully we're following his ways so that people can look at us and just say, that's a good example to follow. But ultimately, when they would come to us, we would say, well, if you follow me, hopefully you're doing so because I'm following Christ because he is the way of wisdom. So yeah, excellent, excellent point there. Um, Another thing that I hope that this chapter will do for us here is it will increase our thanksgiving to God uh, as we go through it. Uh, for his kindness in having mercy upon us and opening our eyes to behold our foolish, hell-deserving ways and turning us off that path. Um, And prayerfully, it will cast us afresh upon his wisdom, knowing that there is still a propensity in our hearts to go astray due to the remaining corruption that will remain until our glorified state. So with those thoughts in mind, let's go ahead now and, and jump in here to chapter 9. And I'd like to go ahead and have three people read. I want somebody to first take uh, verses 1 through 6. Who would be willing to take verses 1 through 6? Okay, Diana Lynn. And then how about 7 through 12? Jeremy, and then 13 through 18? Alberto, you want to take that? Okay, so 1 through 6, 7 through 12, 13 through 18. Of the town. 
Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Amen. Yeah, powerful. Again, just how clear uh, these, these paths are and what the results are within them. So if you remember, uh, just kind of picking up on last week, Will walked us through chapter 8 and just the, the glory of wisdom uh, that we saw in that passage. And now moving into chapter 9 here, you have this establishment of what wisdom has done as uh, it begins here uh, in verse 1. And there on your notes, that's under the section, the life-giving invitation of Lady Wisdom in verses one Uh, through six. And you'll notice here that before Lady Wisdom speaks, her actions are described in verses one and two, right? She's built her house. She's hewn her seven pillars. She's slaughtered her beast. She's mixed her wine. She's also set her table. Uh, These verses here really help us to see and are to cause the the son to think of the stability and the solidarity of Lady Wisdom, right? That's what you get as you read those first couple verses. She's built her house. She's hewn these seven pillars. She's spread out this table here. And what's interesting, you have that aspect of these seven pillars. If you're familiar, as you read through the scriptures, uh, oftentimes numbers are used symbolically to represent something greater. And in this case, that would be true. That the number seven here representative of the completeness of the house that wisdom has built. In other words, there's nothing lacking in this house. It has this firm foundation. There is no instability in it at all. That lady wisdom has been been very industrious. She's taken her time. She's erected everything perfectly. And so what that's trying to do in the the hearer's mind is to say, this is a house you want to come into. You come into this house and you feel secure and safe and wise as you enter into it. And that's the house that Lady Wisdom has built. There's thoughtfulness and carefulness behind the construction of her house. Nothing is left undone, no deficiencies in it at all. And as you read through this section, I don't know if if your mind jumped ahead into the New Testament, but you may remember that Jesus uses very similar language at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Um, so, Eli, if we could jump to that next, uh, that next slide there, if we're able. There we go. Okay, so this is the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And, and watch how, as Jesus is giving uh, this closing argument here of how your mind, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, which his hearers would have been, would go back to these things that are said here in Proverbs. So if I can have somebody read Matthew 7, verses 24 through 27 for us. Everyone that hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell, and great was the fall of it. Okay. That's the same type of admonition or exhortation that the Son has been giving to the Father all throughout the book of Proverbs. Right? He's saying, don't just hear these words of mine you got to take them to heart, my son, right? And that's what Jesus is saying. It isn't enough. And it's a good reminder for us, right? It's, it, it, it isn't sufficient, as James 1 tells us, just to come and hear the word of God. That's good. That's important. That's vital. That's necessary for us. But if it doesn't lead to transformation, what good is it, right? And, and, and that's what the, the father is trying to bring to the son. He's saying, son, wisdom has built her house. She's hewn her seven pillars, She's done all the work that is necessary. And this is the house that you want to come into. And Jesus reaffirms that as he talks about the wise man and the foolish man here. So Lady Wisdom is is trying to help us see how firm a foundation her house is built upon. It's inviting to come into it. Again, it's secure coming into this woman's house. 
so we, we see the solidarity of the structure, right? So just kind of picture yourself walking up into this, into this house. You see the, just like, man, this is good. This is, I feel safe here. I feel safe like Jesus is talking about here, that when these winds and these trials and these things come at me, these temptations come, that I'm in a solid, secure place. And that as we enter into that house, we see what's happening there as well, right? That Lady Wisdom has been doing something not only in the construction of the house, but she's also been doing something inside the house. And we're told next here in verse 2, when it says that she's slaughtered her beasts, She's mixed her wine. She's also set her table. And so you have here in mind, again, this aspect of these preparations for this huge feast that is taking place. And the items of this feast, they show us that this is going to be a sumptuous feast, right? This is like you're invited in. Somebody sends you this invitation. They're like, man, this is... This is something that you want to come to. Here's all the food, the greatest food you could possibly think of, the comfort, the stability. And you're like, wow, this is amazing. I've been invited to this. I didn't do anything for this, right? I just got the invitation. It has come to me. And so this is the kind of invitation that you get and your mouth starts watering as you, as you think about it. And the reason for that, and, and just the way that the words are being used here in Proverbs, a meat was a luxury in antiquity. Okay. Um, it, it was something that was uh, not eaten every day. It was for special occasions. Unless you were rich, then you would eat of it more frequently. And so what, what the, what's trying to, hap- trying to happen here is that trying to help this young man see, come in. This is the best possible thing that you could imagine that is laid out before you here. Lady Wisdom is seeking to entice her readers what she is like, uh, right? So she's, she's got this sumptuous meal that's prepared. And notice also here that all of this is at the expense of Lady Wisdom, right? It's not, hey, and when you come up to the door, 1995, all you can eat, right? It's like, oh man, well that's that's still a pretty good deal. I'm gonna come. It's just invite, come in. I, I've prepared everything. I've slaughtered the beasts. I've taken care of everything. This is not going to cost you. All you have to do is come into this. Next, it says that she's mixed her wine, and that's important as well because. What would often happen at sumptuous feasts like this is they would take wine and they would mix it with honey or other spices to make it taste uh, really good. And so, uh, again, the enticement here is like the beasts are slaughtered, the wine has been mixed, and then next we see she's set her table, right? So it's not like, oh, I'm glad you're here. Hey, the dishes are up there. Can you grab those and set everything and get everything laid out for me? Which you'd be like, yeah, that's fine. That's the least I could do for coming into something like this. Everything is done. You walk in and all you have to do is sit down and enjoy. And that is how Lady Wisdom is being described here. To show the sun, everything is laid out for you already. All has been prepared Great effort, my son, has happened, but none of it is your own effort. It's all the effort of the one who has prepared this for you. You're a guest, and the only thing that you are to do is come in and enjoy what has been prepared. That's great. Yes. Yes. That's right. But you're saying that it's very, very complete and obvious and straightforward. Yes. What is James getting at when he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God in faith? Because mm-hmm. don't we all face don't we all face situations and circumstances or quandaries where we we kind of almost bat our heads against the wall yeah. wondering what we need to do? Yes, definitely. And so that it's not real obvious or yeah, plain, yeah. You know, which way to go or how to proceed. Definitely. Whatever. So um, how 
how does that, how does what yeah. you say sort of dovetail or sort of yeah. maybe the other side of the coin? Right. What you're talking about here? Yeah, I would say the, that's a great question. The point there is that wisdom is accessible for you. So as, as this lady is making the call out, right, she's going out and she's broadcasting to everyone, wisdom is accessible for you. That doesn't mean that there won't be ways that you'll have to figure that out, as the rest of the book of Proverbs will kind of lay out that there's uh, uh, wisdom in a multitude of counselors, right? So it's, it's not only knowing that there is wisdom, it's going to get that wisdom that is available, available to you. So just as these people here would have to go to this woman's house, so to speak, as everything has been prepared, so we too must go to the Lord, and then with all the means that he has given for us to obtain that wisdom. Uh, so certainly, yeah, there's times where we're wrestling through those things and things like that. It's a good point because yeah. we're, as Americans, we're taught to sort of do the Lone Ranger thing and try to figure out it all by myself, yeah. as opposed to, like you say, in the abundance of many counselors, there is this yeah, and, and, looking, to, looking to others to maybe help us to right. uh, path. That's an act of humility, right? Right? It's an act of humility to say that there's, I need something outside of myself to help me work through this situation. And you're right. I mean, just our, our pride does not want to submit to that naturally. We want to say, I can figure this out. I got this on my own. And actually, when we get into sections, uh, the next section in, in verses 7 through 12, uh, the writer kind of picks up on that. He, he shows that there are those who are going to scoff at the wisdom and push it aside. But those who are wise continue to come for more wisdom, right? It's like, I, I'm growing in my wisdom, but I haven't arrived, right? And that's that act of humility that helps us to realize that there's more for me to determine. So in a situation like that, I think what James is getting at is um, you have to know where to go to get that wisdom that is available uh, for you, just as these guests would have to know, I got to go to Lady Wisdom in order to enjoy what she has to offer, okay? Good question, though. Yeah. Okay, so everything's prepared for, and then as we move here into verse 3, uh, we see now that these young women are sent out, right? They're sent out into the town, and they're calling from the highest places of the town, the place where the invitation could be heard by all. Uh, this is an invitation that's not limited in scope. They go to broadcast it to everybody uh, that is in town. And these young women, it's said here, make their call to the simple or, or the naive, those who are lacking sense. And again, that's an act of humility, right? It's, it's not an easy thing to say, I lack sense, <laughs> right? Everything in our sinful nature kind of pushes back against that, right? And says, I got this. I, can, I got this figured out. I don't need help. I'm, I'm not dependent on others. But what the scriptures show us is that you humble yourself and you come to where wisdom is offered. And so this goes out um, to, to all who lack sense, which we shouldn't just see as a subgroup. It's just like, oh, okay, it's only for those who lack sense. As we read the rest of the scripture, we recognize that is every one of us. That's every person, right? It's not just like, oh, it's only for those people over there uh, who are naive. All of us by nature, as we read in Titus 3, are fool foolish, disobedient, led astray. Uh, the problem is we don't want to admit that or see ourselves in that light where we're dependent. According to our sinful nature, we want to believe that we're wise and knowledgeable and not in need of help. And the message, we, as we see it in verses 5 and 6, again here, is to come and partake of all that has been prepared. Now, we recognize, right, there, there's an analogy being used here with wisdom. This is not a real feast that you're to come and, and eat. It's a banquet of insight that is being offered to us. It's a banquet of wisdom for your mind to guide and direct you in how to live. So the call there is leave behind uh, that, that ignorant way, that way that's unknowing, that foolish way. Leave that behind and walk in the way of insight. Again, you're invited as a guest, and you're to do nothing but come in and enjoy the labor of another who has graciously and bountifully provided for you. And that is grace, right? You come empty-handed. You come offering nothing. 
right? And you just say, I'm in need, right? I'm coming here because I'm needy. That's the recognition that we have as we come to the Lord. As we think about these first six verses, there are gospel overtones all over these first six verses. As we think about the preparation that Lady Wisdom has made in verses one and two, as you read that and, and, you, and you pull back the lens, right? We have the whole revelation, Genesis to Revelation. We recognize that what's taking place in verses one and two about Lady Wisdom's preparation is really the work of our Lord Jesus Christ, who he is and what he has accomplished. He's provided everything for us at an incalculable cost to himself, much like Lady Wisdom, who slaughtered her beasts, mixed her wine, set her table. She's done it all, but it's cost her something in order to prepare this for her guests. But because she wants them to come in and enjoy it, she has made that sacrifice willingly. So too our Lord Jesus Christ, as we read in John 10, Jesus said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord, and he does it for his sheep, for his people because he loves us, and he gives us life abundantly, and those who do come to him do so empty-handed with nothing to give but everything to receive. You know, it's really similar to the story um, as you just think about this aspect of slaughtering the beasts, and you just have this, this mindset of it's costing this lady wisdom much in order for her guests to partake of this of the story of the prodigal son that Jesus tells in Luke 15. If you remember from that story, Jesus said that the son goes and he squanders away his inheritance and in, in reckless living. He, he follows the foolish path, so to speak, right? And then he's there, having been hired to feed pigs, and there he comes to his senses, and he realizes what he has done and how he's sinned against his father, and he's determined to go back and repent and seek the place of a servant in his father's house. But his father had other plans for him as, as the son was returning there. And Eli, if we can go to that next slide. Thank you. And if I can have somebody read that for us. Speaking of the son... So, you may remember the other son, he's really upset that this has happened for, for this son. But notice again here, the cost that, that's taken place here. The best robe, ring on his hand, shoes on his feet, bring the fattened calf and kill it, let us eat and celebrate, right? So you get the same imagery there, the, the slaughtering of the beast to enjoy a sumptuous meal together. And this person came and did nothing to deserve what he had walked into. I mean, you could just imagine the mindset of that son, right? Like, okay, I was coming home anticipating that this was going to happen. I would have been perfectly fine outside as one of the servants. Um, I'm in my father's house in that regard. And now I'm sitting at the table and celebration is happening. And this is blowing my mind, right? That's the gospel, right? That, that's wisdom coming to us in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's accomplished on our behalf. Jesus comes and he blows us away with his grace and what he gives. You do nothing. I've done everything at great cost to myself. That's the essential offer of wisdom here. You have nothing, but I will give you everything you need and so much more. And that really is the heart of of the gospel. And then also, as we think about these first six verses, uh, it's very similar to the way that wisdom sends out her young women. Jesus told a parable uh, to that effect using some same type of imagery. Look with me at Matthew chapter 22. I'm going to go ahead and read a portion of that. 
Matthew 22, I'm going to begin in verse 1 here. It says, And again Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son, and sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. You see the same overtones there with what's said here in Proverbs 9? But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. Now you you see some same type of language again that's being used there. Here's this feast that is taking place, the preparations that have been made, the calling to come in and enjoy this. But much like Jesus' hearers and pointing to the way that Israel has responded in the past, they, they chose the foolish path, right? They didn't come in to all that God had provided for them. And in the same way, the father is exhorting the son here in Proverbs and, and saying, my son, it's laid out here for you. Come to this banquet, eat, gain insight, gain wisdom for yourself. Don't turn away from this or you're going to walk down the way of the foolish people. So the call of the gospel goes out to all. It's broadcast, much like the message that Lady Wisdom has declared. She bids her guests to come, follow her, and live, which is the same message that Jesus proclaims as we recognize that he himself is the wisdom of God. And then finally on this section, uh, uh, again, you see the overtones here in verses, in, in verse 5. Uh, about what Jesus says at the institution of the Lord's Supper. Verse 5 here again in Proverbs 9. Come, eat of my uh, bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. And you know the account of the institution of the Lord's Supper where Christ in the upper room seeks to encourage his disciples then and all of his people throughout the ages what the bread and the wine represent. That is his body and blood. Scriptures tell us that Christ took on flesh and blood, took on a body, or as Jesus is quoted as saying in Hebrews 10.5, a body you have prepared for me. And, and in that body, he would fulfill the law on our behalf. And in that body, he would bear our sins upon himself at the cross. And he would shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. And again, here, just as it cost Lady Wisdom to prepare this meal for her, get, her guests, so too did it cost our Lord Jesus and infinitely more than, than what is represented here in Proverbs 9. Okay, let's move on to this second section here, uh, verses 7 through 12. And as we've listened to the reading uh, earlier there, I'm not going to uh, read through all of that right now. I'll mention it as we kind of work through this. But uh, you know, the, these, these verses function almost kind of as a commentary on the side. You have these two scenes of, of wisdom and folly, and then in the middle of this, you have this commentary that's made about both of these uh, scenes here. Uh, they summarize the benefits of what was just said about wisdom and the wise, and they also prepare the reader for the forthcoming statements about folly and the foolish or the, or the scoffer. So let me look here again at verses 7 through 12. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. And he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will still be wiser, or he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me your days will be multiplied and years will be added to your life 
If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. Now, those first three verses, verses 7 through 9, concern the danger of instructing a fool and the glory of instructing the wise. And what we see here is the danger of trying to teach mockers, in particular, trying to criticize or discipline or correct them. Mockers respond to criticism with an attack. And that, after all, really is is what mocking is, right? Making fun of others, putting others down. Uh, Jesus warns us in the New Testament in Matthew 7, 6. Uh, Eli, if you can go to that next slide there. should have Matthew 7, 6 here. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you, right? So that you have that aspect of of mocking the Word of God, and that is what we see here in Proverbs. Um, As it's taught many places in the book of Proverbs, the ability to hear and respond in an honest way to criticism is crucial to positive personal growth, and that's really important to keep in mind. That's a theme that you see running consistently throughout this. We have a number of slides. Eli, if you can just run through, I think I have about three or four slides on this. If you want to go to that next one. Uh, Proverbs 10, 17, somebody want to read that for us? Whoever heeds instruction is on the path to life, but he who rejects reproof leads others astray. Okay, good. So there you have that aspect of when instruction comes to you, what do you do with it, right? Do you heed it? If you do, you're on the path to life. If you reject it... uh, (laughs) Not only you, but you lead others astray also. Okay, go to the next slide, Eli. Proverbs 12.1, somebody want to read that for us? Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. Okay. Right, so there's that aspect of, of discipline, right? Whoever, is, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. And in the scripture, the clarity of scripture here, but he who hates reproof is stupid, is foolish. It's not thinking through that. Go to one more here, I think, I have for us. Proverbs 15, 10 and 12. There is severe discipline for him who forsakes the way. Whoever hates reproof will die. A scoffer does not like to be reproved. He will not go to the wise. Okay? And then I think I have one more. Let's see. Nope. Okay, that's the last one. You can back up on that. There's more there, but... That's where I ended that. So what what you see from that is there is no growth in wisdom without an honest assessment of one's own errors, right? And, And that's good for us to think, not only as we seek to bring the gospel to people and pray that the Lord will open their eyes, but as believers, right, we're in continual need of correction, of discipline from our loving Father. We want to sit at His feet and say, I'm dependent, right? I I need wisdom. I need instruction. I need to hear the way that is right to walk in. If one doesn't listen to criticism and change, then one is doomed to continually repeat the same mistake, right? And I think we've all experienced that, unfortunately, right? We think that we're going to get a different result from doing the same thing, and we don't heed to the instruction that we're given. But those who are truly wise, right, and that this is the grace of God in our hearts, are humble enough to know that they're not perfect, that we haven't reached that point of perfection yet, right? We're still in the flesh. We still have the remaining corruption within us. We're not in our glorified state yet. So we come to the Word of God consistently to hear what it would say to us in seeking to walk in a manner that is pleasing to the Lord. Indeed, as the, the passage says here, they will love a person for the correction they receive because they know that it will keep them from making the same mistake again or it will help them to walk in a manner that is honoring to the Lord. So verse 9 underlines this fact and tells us that advice is not only for the naive and the simple-minded, right? We saw that call go out to the naive and the simple-minded, but it's not only for them, is it? It's also for the wise. The one who is wise and here will increase in his wisdom, will increase in his learning. No one's reached the final plateau 
of wisdom as of yet. There's always more to learn. And you know, that's really good to think through as we just think about applying that to our own hearts, right? We want to ask, do I have a spirit that is willing to receive correction, right? When somebody comes to me to point something out that is lacking in me, what is my response, right? Do I attack and try to defend myself? Or do I recognize, I'm not sure what this person's going to say here, but I want to be humble enough to know that I still have much room to grow. And so I want to hear what this person has to say to me, right? That's, that's where we want our hearts. That's what we want the disposition of our hearts to be, is in, a, is in a position where we're eager to learn and to hear from others. It's, it's also a good reminder for us that as the Lord calls us to come alongside brothers and sisters and to encourage them in walking in, in righteousness, that we do so from the perspective that we recognize in and of ourselves we still have much room to grow, Right? We don't want to come to people as if we've already arrived, right? That, that turns people away very quickly. And you could have the right things to say, but you're saying them in the wrong way or the wrong tone with a sense of superiority. Rather than as another sinner coming alongside and just saying, hey, man, I'm battling too. I'm fighting too. I just want to, I want to see you progress in your walk with the Lord just as I want to progress. So I invite you to speak into my life just as I hope you invite me to speak into yours. Right? That's, that's the disposition that we want to have with one another. We want to look out for each other's best and not to try to do so in a way that would uh, completely offset what it is that we have to say to one another. Okay. Let me continue to, to move on here. The, the last three verses of this uh, section that we see here um, in verse 10 in particular, what you see, I'm going to have to move through this quickly because I'm about out of time here, um, is the reaffirmation of the cent central theme of the book, right? Verse 10 here in Proverbs 9 reiterates uh, the same thing that we've been seeing all throughout. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. The fear of the Lord is the sum and substance of all that has been Discussed. It's the starting place for wise living. It's the first and last thing that is said about wisdom in these chapters. And also that aspect of knowledge of the Holy One is insight. I love what John Calvin says at the beginning of his Institutes of the Christian Religion. He says this, It is certain that man never achieves a clear knowledge of himself unless he has first looked upon God's face, and then descends from contemplating him to scrutinize himself or to see himself rightly. For he, man, for we always seem to ourselves righteous and upright and wise and holy. This pride is innate in all of us, unless by clear proofs we stand convinced of our own unrighteousness, foulness, folly, and impurity. And we're not convinced of this if we look merely to ourselves and not also to the Lord, who is the sole standard by which this judgment must be measured. So I think a great, a great statement there by Cal Calvin. And you see this in Isaiah 6, right? How did Isaiah see himself rightly? It was as he saw the Lord in all his glory that he saw himself rightly. And he says, man, I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell amongst the people of unclean lips. For my eyes have see, has seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Right? So it's in beholding God that we gain the insight about ourselves. We see how wise he is and how ignorant we are in and of ourselves to govern ourselves. So we want to make sure that we understand that. All right, I'm going to jump to the last section here just so that we can conclude um, moving on to the last section there, what we see here is woman folly and her fatal invitation or the fatal invitation of woman folly. And as has been read earlier, the first thing that we notice about this is that she is loud and therefore she does not go unnoticed. And how true that is in our day, right? You don't have to try to listen too intently 
to hear woman folly's voice because she's speaking everywhere. She's speaking all over the place. All around you, woman folly speaks and tries to seek to make you walk in her ways. You can think about the various ways that she calls out, right? Advertising, I mean, you just name it. It's, it's all around us, billboards. Your life is unfulfilled, right? You got an infomercial, call now, and we've got it all, all fixed for you. We can have this thing worked out pretty, pretty quickly. So she's loud, right? Every, she's, everybody's hearing her voice. And those who pass by her, the same crowd that we saw with Lady Wisdom, right? So these two women, so to speak, are competing for the same audience, right? They're both calling out to the simple-minded, the naive. But she doesn't realize that she is just like the ones that she calls out to. As the scripture says here, she knows nothing. She knows nothing. She's as ignorant as the ones that she calls out to. What she actually has to say, even though she speaks loudly, is worthless. It's of no value. In fact, we'll see that the content of her speech is actually destructive. It's not neutral. And we see here that those she is targeting are not those who have intentionally headed for her place, but those traveling by the way to somewhere else, just as we saw with the young man in chapter 7 who was snared by the adulterous woman when he happened to pass the corner where she was waiting for her prey. Right? So these people are just going along, and these two competing women are calling out to them as they pass by, as they pass through. And you'll notice here as well that her call to the passerby, again, it just repeats the exact same words of Lady Wisdom. The beginning of those two calls are exactly the same, but notice here, the following invitations could not be different. The call's the same, but the invitations are completely different. Lady Wisdom's menu, so to speak, is straightforward. It's above board, right? She's telling people straight out, here's what I offer, bread and wine mixed with spices. Woman Folly's offerings, on the other hand, have a shady, suspicious, seductive appeal to them, don't they? Uh, she invites this with this appeal. Stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. Now, what's interesting here, if you follow the imagery that's been used in Proverbs up to this point, the stolen water that she is mentioning here is probably an echo of the allegory that we saw back in chapter 5, verses 15 through 23, where water and fountain were used to describe lovemaking between husband and wife. And the bread eaten in secret here is mentioned, is a picture of a forbidden meal which would have led to rebuke and possibly banishment from the covenant community. And what these things kind of picture for us is to follow the way of idolatry and not to follow the one true and living God. Come and follow this way. This, this woman offers a quick easy, flesh-enticing offer, whereas Lady Wisdom's offer is wholesome, it's noble, it's born out of self-sacrifice and hard work. So again, you, you just see the difference between their invitations as they go out to those who are, who are passing by. Now, the final comment in verse 18 again reminds us of the stark reality of what receiving woman folly's invitation will mean. He does not know that the dead are there and that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. And that's how the first nine chapters end, <laughs> with that sober reminder, that sober warning. If you follow this woman's way, my son, here is where it's going to end. The her, what, what she offers here appears to be a, this, this portal to pleasure, right? The door of her house, it actually turns out to be a corridor to death. 
to health, ultimately. And on that strong word and imagery of verse 18, the wisdom speeches of chapters 1 through 9 just abruptly close. It's very kind of stark. And their point on the wonder and worth of wisdom has been well made. And so the the father has tried to lay it out here in as clear as terms as possible. Here's the path of wisdom. Here's the path of folly. Here are the consequences of following one. Here are the consequences of following the other. Choose life, my son. Choose the way of wisdom. Choose the harder road, but the more rewarding road, and the road that honors God, rather than the quick, easy, foolish path that will inevitably lead to death. And as we come out of chapters 1 through 9, one thing that I hope that has stuck out in your mind is the necessity of guarding our hearts diligently. Because folly is speaking very loudly. And if we're not disciplined, if we're not disciplining ourselves to consistently hear wisdom, we will be susceptible to follow woman folly's ways. And the other thing I hope that sticks out to you is how grateful we should be that the Lord has given us ears to hear his wisdom. As the word of God comes to us, we can hear it and understand it. The reality that he's mercifully called us out of darkness of the folly in which we lived and brought us into the light of gospel wisdom. How thankful we should be as you go through those first nine chapters and just falling on our faces and praising God. Thank you for opening my eyes and please keep opening them. You have opened them and I pray that you would continue to to do so. And it's because of that and the spirit of wisdom dwelling within us that we're hopeful to continue to walk and increase in glorifying God with our lives. And to that we say to him be the glory for all things that he has done in us and through us. And for that we are very thankful. So let's close in prayer. Father, thank you again for this truth uh, that we've seen not only in this chapter, but in the first nine chapters. Father, we thank you first that you've opened our eyes to see these truths. Lord, we, as we read from Titus 3, we were once foolish, disobedience led astray, slaves to various pleasures, just as we have seen with those mentioned in these first nine chapters of Proverbs. But in your great mercy, you've called us out of that darkness in which we once lived, out of that foolishness in in which we once lived, and you've brought us into gospel wisdom. And so we thank you and we praise you for that. And I pray that we would be, as we've seen in this chapter, those who have gained wisdom and those who continue to gain it. As we continue to bend our ear and listen to you, Lord, and seek to walk in a manner that honors and glorifies you, dependent upon you for all these things. Father, we thank you and we praise you for this. In Christ's name, amen.